0: Good morning, let's open our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 11. As we see that the people have pretty much taken all they're gonna take from Jeremiah, so they're plotting his death as our text. Named this message this morning, The Plot Against Men of God. Let's pick it up where Pastor Lane was reading. Chapter 11, beginning with verse 18. Now, the Lord gave me knowledge of it, and I knew it. For you showed me their doings, but... I was like a docile lamb brought to the slaughter, and I did not know that they had devised schemes against me, saying, Let us destroy the tree with its fruit, and let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. But O Lord of hosts, you who judge righteously, testing the mind and the heart, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have revealed my cause." Therefore thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anaroth, who seek your life, saying, Do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, lest you die by our hand. Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will punish them. The young men will die by the sword, their sons, their daughters will die by famine, and there shall be no remnant of them, for I will bring catastrophe on the men of Anaroth, even in the year of their punishment." As we're making our way through the Bible, especially the book of Jeremiah, we, we see a sort of a reoccurring theme as it's very repetitive. All the chapters similar to some degree. It sort of follows this line that judgment is imminent. It's going to come from the north, namely Babylon. Jeremiah lays out the reason for this coming judgment, worshiping false Gods and and doing things so bad that even the nations that were there before hadn't uh, descended to such a level of depravity. And finally, how Jeremiah is treated. He had no converts. Nobody wanted to see his message. And this is really the first time, as we get to chapter 11, where they've had enough. Enough with you, Jeremiah. And um, they are actually... Saying that, we're, we're, let's cut them out, let's kill them. We don't want you to prophesy in the name of the Lord anymore, lest you die. In other words, shut up. <laughs> and uh, don't tell us all this stuff about judgment and all this stuff about God taking us into captivity for 70 years. We simply don't want to read it. Now, I was studying around my kitchen table and noticed that my calendar was still turned to June, and it was the 2nd. So I got one of those really pretty uh, Christian calendars and I flipped it over and, um, for July. And, and um, on it, there was actually, a, they all have scripture on it, but this one had Jeremiah 4, verse 2. And I thought, well, that should be interesting. This is what Jeremiah 4, verse 2 says on my beautiful Christian calendar. It says, and you shall swear the Lord lives in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness. And the nations shall bless themselves in Him, and in Him they shall glory. Now, that's a pretty happy verse, don't you think? And um, if you would take this one verse and hold it up and say, "Here's the book of Jeremiah," without reading any other verses in the book of Jeremiah. What conclusion are you going to derive from that one verse? Is it going to be judgment is imminent? It's going to come from the north? And the reason of it is you're continually in sin. And um, as a result of this message, Jeremiah was wrongfully treated. But yet, we have this very happy verse uh, that's there. Um, To this day, I've never seen a Christian... Calendar with a verse that reads something like This all who live Godly in Christ Jesus will suffer Persecution That's a promise (laughs) I haven't read that one yet Okay everybody here who Wants to suffer and be persecuted Raise your hand yeah Bring it on No Because we don't like messages like that And yet if we're to be true To the whole counsel of God we have to teach the whole council of God. Good place for an amen. amen. And so when we see it in context with the whole of the book, we have to come to a completely different conclusion. That Jeremiah was not called the weeping prophet for no reason. He did not have a happy clappy message. The only message he had was judgment is imminent. Don't try to fight against the king of Babylon when he comes. Capitulate. If you do, you're only going to make it worse on yourself. And yet, we as Americans, especially the American church, um, never want to talk about these issues, which is the major theme of one of the largest major prophets in the Old Testament. And it's all, it was amazing because I was not here last week, and I came to men's prayer this week. Uh, We were used to the Old Testament But the guys had just started Matthew last week and they were in chapter four. And I thought, man, what a contrast. Here we got the Beatitudes and the teaching of the Lord. It was such a radical shift from all the prophecies of judgment pertaining to Israel. The very last verse of the Old Testament is, is I will send you Elijah the prophet before that great and terrible day of the Lord. 400 years of silence and then you have the last um, prophet who I'll talk about in just a little bit, uh, John the Baptist arising on the scene. This morning what I'd like to do is look at those men who have lived who in, and had their lives plotted against to have them killed. It's a theme that runs through the entire scriptures. So let's begin by turning, I can't hit them all, but let's turn back to the book of Esther really quick, chapter 3, verses seven through nine. While you're turning, again, quick background. The Bible tells us that um, um, the area they're in is uh, King Hasarus is in Sushan, so he's a Persian. His wife was a handful and had to get rid of her because she wouldn't show up for a party that he was throwing and had a beauty contest. Esther, who was Jewish, won the beauty contest only nobody knows that she's Jewish. She has an uncle named Mordecai, godly man. Um, and uh, he'd be happy, but he's got the, an axe to grind with with a guy named Mordecai. And the the, ba- the bad guy here is Haman. And Haman despised Mordecai because this man was a man of prominence. And everybody, when Haman came by, you know, there's Haman. Haman, how you doing, man? Good to see you. Bowing down to him, that is except for Mordecai. Mordecai wasn't going to bow to any man. He would only bow to the Lord his God. And it really ticked him off. And as a result, he had had enough with him, so he not only wanted to get rid of Mordecai, but all the Jews. So here we have a plot. What is the plot? Well, the plot is to destroy every Jew. Let's pick it up in verse 7. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast purrs. We have the Feast of Purim because of it, it literally means that is the lot. Before Haman to determine the day and the month, and it fell on the twelfth month with the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, well, King, there's a certain people scattered, dispersed among the people in every province of your kingdom, Their laws are different from all other people's and and they don't keep the king's laws. Therefore, it's not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it please the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed, and I'll pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasures. From the beginning, the enemy has sought to destroy the Jewish people. We see it here, a plot. Just as it was a plot to take out Jeremiah, there was a plot as far back here in Esther where all of the Jews were to be eliminated. When it gets into the area of the prophets, remember at the end of Malachi, now we have 400 years, no prophets are speaking. So Malachi would have been the last one. Turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 14, and verses um, 1 through 12. I want to read to you who was the last Old Testament prophet. Matthew eleven eleven, Jesus talking about the last prophet from the Old Testament. Says, assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So of all the prophets, I think of Moses and Elijah and Elisha, these great prophets, um, did all these miracles. John never did one miracle. And yet Jesus says he was the greatest one who ever lived. And yet we find that as a prophet he was a marked man. Verse 1 of chapter 14, at that time Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead and therefore these powers are at work at him. Now they're backtracking see he, Herod had him killed. The reason is in verse 3, for Herod had laid hold of John, bound him, put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. And John had said to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. You guys are shacking up. You're sleeping together. It's not right. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitudes because they considered him a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them, and it pleased Herod. Therefore, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she wanted. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, give me John the Baptist's head on a platter. And the king was sorry, nevertheless, because of the oath and because of those who sat at his table, he commanded it to be given to her. And so he sent, and John was beheaded in prison. So we have the greatest prophet. Jeremiah was a prophet. They wanted to take him out. We have the greatest prophet, according to Jesus, um, who never did any miracles. And um, they took him out. Because why? Because he spoke the truth concerning Herod's affair. Amen? He was simply speaking the truth. And um, uh, he was, when he, when he heard about Jesus, he was so paranoid, he says, Uh-oh, uh-huh. it's really John the Baptist come back from the dead to give me a hard time. Because he knew very well he was sh- shedding innocent blood so these are the prophets I want to move ahead to the disciples and uh, here I'd like you to turn to the first martyr which was Stephen of course we don't need to go to Acts chapter 7 verse 54 let me just work my way up to this this is probably the most thorough commentary in one chapter that you're gonna find of the Old Testament. And he just lays out the genealogy of Jesus, um, the works of uh, the Old Testament saints, and uh, he's, he's basically preaching this, this, this great message and um, about Moses and their heritage, and he finally brings it up to the Lord himself, A descendant of David, and he's telling them, he's quoting uh, Psalm 102, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all things? And then uh, after his message, now he makes it personal because he knows them no different than the men that were after Jeremiah. I would have liked to have heard this. He says, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears, (laughs) you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? There it is. And they killed those who, who foretold the coming of the just one of whom you have become uh, the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. Now, after they heard this, it says that when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him. I mean, they, they blew their top, and they wanted him dead. How dare him say such things to him. But he, and I love this, being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of heaven, and he tells him. And he says, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That's about it. That's all they could handle. And like Jeremiah, they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then as he's dying, he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Lord, don't charge these guys with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And so now we have the beginning. We go from Jeremiah to the prophets. Which of the prophets didn't you kill? And now we have the, the the birth of the church age, and now we have the first Christian martyr. Hebrews chapter eleven. Let's just turn there really quick, talking again about the prophets. Verse 34: This is the Old Testament prophets. They quenched the voice of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of Weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the enemies of the aliens. Women received their dead to life, but others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still, others had trials of mocking, certainly Jeremiah. Scourgings, yes, chains, imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. That was Isaiah were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. And I love this verse, of whom the world was not worthy. It was the word of God as far as they were concerned, and it had to be heard, whether you like it or whether you don't. Obviously, in Jeremiah's case, they did not like it. Now, Stephen was the first one. Flip over to Acts chapter 12. And because there was such a great response by the Jews that Stephen was killed, we now read in chapter 12, verse 1, about the time of Herod, the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. And then they killed James, a brother of John. So we were reading yesterday about the sons of Zebedee, how when the Lord called them, they just picked up, And it says one of the guys said they they left dad with the family business. Just think about it. The Lord says, you guys come and follow me. And they left dad with the family business, and they followed the Lord. Well, this is at James, James and John. And it says, and because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter. So the second martyr, first one was Stephen. The second one is James. And I got to tell you, it's been a long time, gang, since I picked up and and read this book, but I started it again. And I I wanted to deal with the part of the first 300 years of the church, all the way up until the time uh, Constantine uh, had this conversion. But it was during that first 300 years that the persecution of the church was extreme. And I'm reading these different emperors and just how brutal, not only against Christians, but because they were so power hungry and paranoid, uh, they were killing everybody around them, from family members to Senate members, just to sustain and keep their power. So I'm picking this up, and I'm just going to read, After the martyr of Stephen uh, suffered, next James, the holy apostle of Christ and brother of John. And this is his account. Obviously, these have been passed down uh, through history, through the church. When this James, uh, saith Clement, was brought to the uh, judgment seat, uh, he that brought him uh, and was the cause of his trouble, so this guy here turned him in, seeing him to be condemned and that he would suffer death was in such short, he was moved therein in his heart and his conscience, that he went to the execution, he confessed himself also of his own accord, and he said, I too am a Christian. And so they led forth together, were in the way he desired of James, he said, James, forgive me uh, for what he had done. And after that, James had a little pause with himself upon the matter, and he turned to him and he said, peace be with you, brother, and he kissed him. And both were beheaded together, 36 AD. And so, you know, it's one thing to say you're a Christian. Here's a guy that turns him in. And if Jesus really isn't who he claimed to be, if it gets right down, okay, you're gonna die. How many people are gonna follow through? Well, if you really believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he died for your sins and he rose again and that he's prepared a place for you and you really believe that, let's get it on (laughs) and let's go home. And that's what James believed. The guy who turned him in wasn't sure. But what he saw that James was just going to follow through with this thing, gladly so. And um, something happened in the heart of the guy that turned him in. And you go, this guy really believes this stuff. And he's willing to die for it. Jesus is not a made-up false prophet. This guy's willing to lay down his life. That means it's true, and that means I want in. Good place for an amen. It's, the point that I'm going to get into here is not just Stephen, not just James, all of them. Let me go through the list. Um... After James, we have Simon. We're not sure how he died. Um, uh, The other James, a half-brother of Jesus, he was beheaded in Rome. Um, Peter, of course, was crucified upside down on a cross because he did not feel he was worthy to be put to death the same way that his Lord was. The Apostle Paul, of course, was beheaded. Jesus even told Peter... um, that he said, Peter, Peter, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Plot to get Peter. Andrew, he was crucified in Greece. Thomas, um, in India, the work of the Christians is greater in the southern part of, of India because that's where Thomas landed. He landed in the state of Tamil Nadu, um, and it was there that he was pierced through with different spears by four different soldiers. Philip was cruelly put to death in Asia Minor. Matthew was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. We have no information except that he was martyred on Bartholomew. Uh, that James, the son of Alphaeus, uh, was stoned and clubbed to death in Syria. Simon the Zealot, um, and Persia killed after refusing to sacrifice to the sun god. And of course, the Lord kept John alive so he could write the book of Revelation. But you read Fox's book of martyrs and it tells you they tried to boil him in oil. John just didn't cook. <laughs> and uh, the Lord kept him alive. And um, he's the only one of the disciples that did not die a martyr's death. Let's go on to the disciples, and let's talk about the apostles. I believe that Paul was the 12th apostle and certainly used like no other man in um, the writing of the New Testament. But let's just begin at his calling. They laid his garments when they were killing Stephen at the foot of Saul, who would later become Paul of Tarsus. And he's blinded for three days after the Lord appears to him, and he says, Lord, who are you? He says, it's Jesus whom you're persecuting. It's hard to kick against the pricks, Peter. And he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he was blind for three days. After three days, the Lord spoke to one of the disciples in Damascus, whose name was Ananias, and he said, the Lord told him to go pray for Paul, and Ananias didn't like it. He says, Lord, I've heard a lot about this man, how much harm he's done to your Saints in Jerusalem and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name he's he's got the papers he can take anybody he wants to but the Lord said to him go because he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel and catch this verse for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake How would you like that as your promise when you begin ministry? I'm going to show you how many things you're going to suffer, Paul, for my name's sake. Well, that's where where his calling came. Let's just look at some of the things that he went through. Let's go to Acts chapter 20. I'll go to to 2 Corinthians 11 first, and then we'll go back to Acts 20. 2 Corinthians 11, uh, verse 23 Talking about what he went through, are they ministers of Christ? Verse 23 I speak a fool. I am more in labors, more abundantly, in stripes, above measure. I forgot to count. In prison, more frequently, in deaths, often. From the Jews, five times I re- received 40 stripes, minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once so I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils of men, false brethren, brethren, in weariness, and in toil, and sleeplessness, often, in hungry and thirst, and fasting, often, in cold and nakedness, and besides all these things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for the church. Wow. What a list. And then he, he will go on a little bit later and say, but none of these things move me. That's not going to stop me, that these things are coming down on me. Let's flip over to Acts 20 now, verses 18 to 27. Here he's defending this doctrine of salvation through faith by grace. We pick it up in 18 of chapter 20, And when they had come, he said to them, You know from the first day that I was in Asia what manner I have lived among you. I was serving the Lord with humility, many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. And how I kept nothing back and was helpful and proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance toward God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now, I'm going bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit told me, testifies in every city, saying, well, chains in this city and tribulations in the next one, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and a ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God. And indeed now I know that you all among you whom I have preached the kingdom will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. What if we just took that one verse out of Jeremiah, the happy, clappy one, and that's all you knew about Jeremiah? Not, not, Not Paul. He says the whole counsel of God. You read the whole book of Jeremiah and you'll have the the correct perception and uh, the point that he's trying to get through. Galatians 5, verse 11, Paul says, Brethren, if I still preach the law, circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. And so he's talking over and over again, wherever he goes, whatever he says, he ends up in prison for it. And every word that the Lord is speaking to him, well, you're going to end up in jail here, Paul. You're going to get chains and suffering here. And uh, at the end of the day, you're going to cut your head off. in I don't know if he told Paul that. I know he told Peter that. Remember John 21? John was, was curious about who was, who was uh, talking and who was betraying at the Last Supper. And he was wondering if it was John. Was it John? Was that guy back there? And uh, the Lord said, Peter, mind your own business. He says, when you were a young man, Peter, you came and you went. You did what you want when you wanted to. But let me tell you about what's going to happen. Someday they're going to push you in chains. Someplace, someday they're going to take you to a place you don't want to go. And then the next sentence, he said, he said these things speaking about Peter's death. He told them right straight out, Peter, you're going to die for me someday. You still want to worry about this other guy? (laughs) And so when we do a thorough study of the scriptures, we have it happening to Jeremiah. We have it happening to Mordecai. We have it happening to uh, the um, early Christians for the first 300 years. We see it happening to the Apostle Paul. Let's move ahead and talk about our Lord that we remembered this morning through his death, by taking communion. In the Gospel of John, it divides nicely into five different sections. The first section is the deity of Christ. That was John's main point. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He wants you to know that Jesus is God. Another good place for an amen. And that's how he ends it. He says, I've written all these things. And there's many more that the world itself couldn't contain the libraries that you'd need for everything that Jesus did. But these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is God. And that's the whole reason for the the gospel of John. Chapter um, two through four is the presentation of the Son of God, that's John the Baptist. But the chunk of the book, a good chunk of it, 5 through 12, is the opposition to the Son of God, how he was opposed at every turn. 13 through 17 is unique to the Gospel of John because it's the personal conversation that you won't find in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, the personal words to the disciples. And then 18 to 21, the crucifixion and resurrection of the Son of God. From his birth, Let's go right to the very day Jesus was born. We find that King Herod sent his hatchmen to Bethlehem, and every child, two years or younger, was killed. An angel warned Joseph, so they got out of dodge. But they were seeking his life at his birth. Then he grows up. He's now 30 years old. He's baptized. We were reading that yesterday. In men's prayer, and now he's beginning his ministry, and he goes to Cana. We see the first miracle of turning the water into wine, and he makes it to his hometown of Nazareth. And when he gets to Nazareth, he, Luke four says, he goes to the synagogue, and uh, he speaks about Isaiah sixty one being about him, that he's been ordained. Uh, to preach good tidings to the poor, to heal up the brokenhearted. And he was prophesying about himself, and he closes the scroll up, and he says, okay, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. What was their response? Praise the Lord, the Messiah is from our hometown. <laughs> no. The Bible says that they arose, and they thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill of which the city was built, that they might throw him over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Did they plot to take the life of Jesus? Acts 9, now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, as they plotted to kill Jeremiah. Matthew 26, 4, the Jews plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. They thought they had it for sure when the woman was caught in the act of adultery. And because they knew what the, the law said. But he was known for being a friends of sinners and publicans. And um, they started playing mind games with the creator of the mind, which is not a very good thing to do. <laughs> He'll turn those tables on you every single time. My point is this. From the beginning, they sought to kill him. And they plotted to do so. And that leads up to the Old Testament prophecies that foretold all of this. In Matthew uh, and Psalm 22, it begins with words that Jesus would say on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shed and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For Gentiles or dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones and they look and stare at me. Pastor Lane read some of these verses this morning for communion. He's despised and rejected by men. Let's just make it personal here. Do you like to be despised or do you like to be liked? I'll be honest, I like to be liked. (laughs) And who likes to be despised and rejected by men? Our human nature wants just the opposite. But when we look at our example, and because of the words that he spoke, he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, Jesus Yeah, and acquainted with grief, yeah. And we hid, as it were, our face from him. He was despised and we didn't esteem him. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Yeah, we we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. As far as his own personal suffering, and I take this literally, Isaiah 52, that they were astonished when they see how badly beaten the Lord Jesus Christ was. His visage, or his outward appearance, was marred more than any man. They tore his beard out, out, they put a sack on his head, and they beat him. Usually when you see a punch coming, you can roll with it. Not so with the Lord. The Lord took all that. And I imagine he's just puffed out, beard ripped out, and... um, That's what they did to him, marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. In Gethsemane, when he realized what was about to take place, Luke 22, it says he was in agony, our Lord. And he prayed more earnestly, so much so that sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. The intensity that only he would know what was about to take place. Well, this preacher cannot even begin to try to describe to you a father and son who have been one for all eternity. They've never known separation, ever. And they don't need me or you. The Trinity doesn't need me or you. We all in agreement with that? They were very content with, with, with their Godhead, what we call the Godhead. But before the world was began, he says he knew you and he created you so that you and I would be an object of his love that we could, once we get it, return it back again. That's what he's looking for. But no arm twisting. He just shows what great lengths he's going to go to to demonstrate how much he loves us. And then balls in our court. We do with it what we want to. But here, when we... Um, see that his in the garden and he prayed that of course the very next thing is crucifixion itself which was I'm only told unbelievably cruel the worst form of punishment it was meant to put fear into people's hearts as they'd walk by and see a guy suffering on a cross John 19 then he delivered him Pilate to be crucified So they took Jesus and led him away and he bearing his cross and at this point I want to remember the scripture we usually make nice crosses and put around them to identify ourselves as Christian and we're missing the meaning of it. Here he says pick up your cross and follow me. That's the real context of a a cross and he bearing his cross went out to a place called the place of the skull which is called in Hebrew Golgotha where they crucified him with two other with him, one on one side and Jesus in the center. Jeremiah, Mordecai, John the Baptist, Stephen, James, all the disciples, all received plots against them to take him out. And they finally took out the Lord, but death couldn't hold him. So now we have the church And we have, after the Reformation, so let's fast forward in history as we go through this this morning, and we find Martin Luther. He's a priest, but he's reading his Bible, and he's come to the conclusion that salvation is apart from works, and you you gotta have one or the other. You can't have both. He was persuaded by this. So the Reformation actually began with a guy making a stand saying, no, there's all these traditions that you guys have come up with are not in the Bible. And he took his stand, and uh, I don't think he took it far enough. There's things that he held on to. Um, but because of the Reformation, many people said, that guy's right, because they're reading their own Bibles all of a sudden. And as a result, we have a split with the Reformation. And let's turn at this point uh, to Revelation 17. And I mean in a nutshell because it's so much history I can't obviously deal with it all. I can't begin to tell you the amount of people that were killed by the Roman Catholic Church after the Reformation. It continues on when the real church is raptured before the Tribulation that The church is going to be um, judged because of what the Roman Catholic Church has done in killing real Christians that believe that salvation is by God's grace and through faith alone. And that's what they believed and they were willing to die for it. And the Roman Catholic Church was willing to kill them if they didn't accept that. Now, let's read Revelation 17. Um, The judgment from four to 16 is over. The great tribulation is over. When you look at chapter 17, we're simply going back and detail is being added. 17 is religious information, 18 is economic and financial information. So let's pick it up. So we're backtracking to that time during the tribulation And we read in verse 1, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me saying, come and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, spiritual fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast with with, uh, f- full of names and blasphemies, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead, a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, on the abomination of the earth. It is a religious structure that is left after the true church has been taken out. And John says, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, and when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. It it was blowing John's mind. Here was supposedly the church but now it's drunk because they're responsible for killing so many people that he was just in great amazement. So from the Reformation, read this book. It's all documented. And then those um, that were killed during the great tribulation. Uh, Verse seven, but the angel said to me, 'Why, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman. And of the beast that carries, which has seven heads and ten horns. I need to cut to the quick Unless you know the city that this is in. Go to verse 18. The woman who you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. When John was writing this, there was only one city that reigned over the kings of the earth. It happens to be Rome. It happens to be where the Vatican is. And the colors described in here of purple and scarlet, well, those happens to be the colors of cardinals and priests and so on and so forth. And they are responsible because they wouldn't bend uh, after the Reformation. All right, let's take it a step further. And after the Reformation, um, we have today, between that period of time the first 300 years, then after the Reformation, I googled this, and I wanted to know, well, how many Christians are actually martyred today? Certainly not in America, at least not yet. But I found out that today, 100,000 Christians are martyred for their faith. Every year. That's 273 per day, and 11 people will, will be martyred for their faith every hour. Now, Jesus said, these things I command you that you love one another. It says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world is going to hate you. I don't want to be hated. I want to be liked. I want to be loved. But if I'm going to be a real Christian and I know what God's word is, and I do anything else that proclaim that, adding nothing to it, taking away nothing from it, sort of puts you in the same driver's seat as Jeremiah, right? This is the word of the Lord, Jeremiah, teach it. Yeah, but they don't like it at all. They got a plot right now against me to kill me to take me up. yeah, I know. it anyway, because if they did it to me, they're gonna do it to you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, well, they're going to persecute you too. If they kept my word, well, they'll keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know him who sent me. So here we are, 4th of July weekend, remembering how we fought for this country's freedom Yet today we have sunk to the same level of depravity in America. It is very much like Israel during Jeremiah's time. We're not far away from judgment. God is being patient. Persecution isn't coming, it's here. Um, and it's here to the, the born again believing church. Now there's all kinds of churches that'll never take you through the book of Jeremiah or give you a Bible study that's primarily based on Fox's book of martyrs. I'll tell you what we're more like, and I need you to turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 3, so just go back. In reality, we don't know what persecution really is, unless they call you one of those, oh, you're one of those guys, (laughs) and you're marginalized And the guys in the office don't like you because you're one of them. What we really are is a last day church. And um, certainly the American church. How we've gotten away from all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will will suffer persecution. I don't want to hear that. Don't tell me that. Tell me something good. It's the 4th of July and we're having brats and cheeseburgers this afternoon, no? I want something good to take out of here. And here we are talking about persecution in Jeremiah. Well, Jesus said that the last day of church would be like this. Verse 14 of chapter three. These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He says, I know your works. I know you're not hot or cold. I wish you were hot or cold. So then, because you are lukewarm, And neither cold nor hot, I'm going to spew you. That word is vomit, literally. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy. I don't need nothing. I do not, and you do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. In other words, they had a perception of themselves that was completely the opposite of the Lord's perception of them. He says, I counsel you to buy for me Gold refined in the fire. Well, What's that? That's going through a fiery trial for being a Christian. Like the Lord did, like the disciples did, like John the Baptist did, like Jeremiah did. That you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes and salve that you may see. This next verse we share with people, and we, it's sort of a, a witnessing tool, As many as I love, I rebuke and chastise. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Well, we share that. We say, well, you know, that you can accept Jesus into your life. And he's just waiting. He's knocking. All you have to do is invite him in. That's pulling that scripture out of context. He's talking to the church, and he's outside wanting to get in. That's why he's knocking. And he says, He says, he who opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant with him to sit on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. I'm not saying all churches are like this church, but I have to admit that uh, as I look out there, um, I, I see that there is what we call the word faith prosperity doctrine. And boy, are you going to like their studies. Because basically, um, they tell us good, happy things, um, be seekers sensitive, don't offend anybody. Uh, the prosperity teachers. Their doctrine, it says, through faith we can obtain anything we want. Health, wealth, and success. That's just the opposite of everything we talked about this morning, isn't it? Trials, persecution, and suffering. No, last day church, health, wealth, success, and more. However, this force is only released through the spoken word. In other words, by faith, if you have enough faith, You can speak it and you can have it. And if you don't get it, it's your problem because you simply don't have enough faith. That's the prosperity gospel right there. As they speak the words of faith, power is just discharged to accomplish our desires. Well, James says you guys pray for something and you don't get it because you're praying for your own self. And any father is not going to give their son or daughter Anything they want, every time they want. Dad, I want a whole box of, of um, Snickers. A whole box. No, you can't have a whole box. You can have one. No, I want a whole box. No, you can only have one. Why does he say that? Because he's caring enough about you to know that a whole box of Snickers is going to make you into um, a sugar speed junkie for the rest of the day, and uh, he's got to put up with that. So he's not going to do that. And we understand, we understand that. But we have prosperity teachers today tell you exactly what you want to hear. Benny Hinn, Joel Olstein, Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagen, Joyce Meyer, the list of the prosperity doctrine teachers, they're out there. And believe me, their 4th of July message isn't this one. But I did not I, we just happened to be going through Jeremiah again and we just happened to be in chapter 11. So even though it's the 4th of July, um, that's where we have to go. But we can end it on somewhat of a positive note with Matthew chapter 5. Interesting because I told the guys yesterday a Men's Prayer this. I said, somebody started to talk about it. I said, don't talk so much about it. You're stealing my message. Matthew chapter 5 is the Beatitudes. And we read... Oh, the precious! One of the guys said, "Well, here's here's how you live. This book is about how to live life. When you get into Matthew, so in the Beatitudes, um, blessed means oh how happy." But I'll read. I'll close this morning with 10 through 12, where it says, "In 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and speak all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. Rejoice? Yeah, rejoice. And be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now can you understand while they were marching James to his death, that the guy who turned him in said, James, I'm sorry, man. But I wanna know that you persuaded me to be a believer. Turns around and says, welcome to the family, bro. And gave him a kiss, and now they're in heaven. Good place for an amen. amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we can't skip around the hard stuff. And uh, we don't just want to have one verse from the book of Jeremiah that tells us good things when the whole theme of the book is that judgment is imminent. And we have to admit, Lord, that as Israel strayed, so has our country. But Lord, there is a remnant, and there are those that love you, and they want to stick to your word, Lord, and... We want to be able to say like Paul that we have not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God, not just bits and pieces. So on this 4th of July weekend, we thank you that we're really citizens of heaven for you yourself said that your kingdom was not of this world and you told us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Bless your people on this 4th of July weekend. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.